the tunnel under the world by frederick pohl part one of dramatic reading scene and story collection volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. cast in order of appearance narrator read by sean edborn guy burkhart read by beth thomas mary burkhart read by elizabeth clatt advertiser by norman elfer miss mitkin read by rosalind carlyle swanson read by larry wilson april horn janet read by christine g mr dorchin read by bruce peary the tunnel under the world part one on the morning of june the fifteenth guy burkhart woke up screaming out of a dream it was more real than any dream he had ever had in his life it could still hear and feel the sharp ripping mental explosion the violent heave that had tossed him furiously out of bed the searing wave of heat he sat up convulsively and stared not believing what he saw at the quiet room and the bright sunlight coming in the window he croaked mary his wife was not in the bed next to him the covers were tumbled and awry as though she had just left it and the memory of the dream was so strong that instinctively he found himself searching the floor to see if the dream explosion had thrown her down but she wasn't there of course she wasn't he told himself looking at the familiar vanity and slipper chair the uncracked window the unbuckled wall it had only been a dream guy his wife was calling him querulously from the foot of the stairs guy dear are you all right sure he called weakly there was a pause then mary said doubtfully breakfast is ready are you sure you're all right i thought i heard you yelling burkhart said more confidently i had a bad dream honey be right down in the shower punching the lukewarm and cologne he favoured he told himself that it had been a beauty of a dream still bad dreams weren't unusual especially bad dreams about explosions in the past thirty years of h bomb jitters who had not dreamed of explosions even mary had dreamed of them it turned out for he started to tell her about the dream but she cut him off you did her voice was astonished why dear i dreamed the same thing well almost the same thing i didn't actually hear anything i dreamed that something woke me up and then there was a sort of quick bang and then something hit me on the head and that was all was yours like that burkhart coughed um, well no he said mary was not one of these strong as a man brave as a tiger women it was not necessary he thought to tell her all the little details of the dream that made it seem so real no need to mention the splintered ribs and the salt bubble in his throat and the agonized knowledge that this was death he said maybe there really was some kind of explosion downtown maybe we heard it and it started us dreaming mary reached over and patted his hand absently maybe she agreed it's almost half past eight dear shouldn't you hurry you don't want to be late to the office he gulped his food kissed her and rushed out not so much to be on time as to see if his guess had been right but downtown tylerton looked as it always had coming in on the bus burkhart watched critically out the window seeking evidence of an explosion there wasn't any if anything tylerton looked better than it ever had before it was a beautiful crisp day the sky was cloudless the buildings were clean and inviting they had he observed 
steam blasteth the power and lights building the town's only skyscraper that was the penalty of having contrary chemicals main plants on the outskirts of town the fumes from the cascade stills left their mark on stone buildings none of the usual crowd were on the bus so there wasn't anyone burkhart could ask about the explosion and by the time he got out at the corner of fifth and lehigh and the bus rolled away with a muted diesel moan he had pretty well convinced himself that it was all imagination he stopped at the cigar stand in the lobby of his office building but ralph wasn't behind the counter the man who sold him his pack of cigarettes was a stranger where's mr stebbins burkhart asked the man said politely sick sir he'll be in tomorrow a pack of marlins today chesterfields burkhart corrected certainly sir the man said but what he took from the rack and slid across the counter was an unfamiliar green and yellow pack do try these sir he suggested they contain an anti-cough factor ever notice how ordinary cigarettes make you choke once in a while burkhart said suspiciously i've never heard of this brand of course not there's something new burkhart hesitated and the man said persuasively look try them out at my risk if you don't like them bring back the empty pack and i'll refund your money fair enough burkhart shrugged how can i lose but give me a pack of chesterfields too will you he opened the pack and lit one while he waited for the elevator they weren't bad he decided though he was suspicious of cigarettes that had the tobacco chemically treated in any way but he didn't think much of ralph's stand-in it would raise hell with the trade at the cigar stand if the man tried to give every customer the same high-pressure sales talk the elevator door opened with a low-pitched sound of music burkhart and two or three others got in and he nodded to them as the door closed the thread of music switched off and the speaker in the ceiling of the cab began its usual commercials no not the usual commercials burkhart realized he had been exposed to the captive audience commercials so long they hardly registered on the outer ear any more but what was coming from the recorded program in the basement of the building caught his attention it wasn't merely that the brands were mostly unfamiliar it was a difference in pattern there were jingles with an insistent bouncy rhythm about soft drinks he had never tasted there was a rapid patter dialogue between what sounded like two ten-year-old boys about a candy bar followed by an authoritative bass rumble go right out and get a delicious choco bite and eat your tangy choco bite all up that's choco bite there was a sobbing female whine i wish i had a feckle freezer i'd do anything for a feckle freezer burkhart reached his floor and left the elevator in the middle of the last one it left him a little uneasy the commercials were not for familiar brands and there was no feeling of use and custom to them but the office was happily normal except that mr bath wasn't in miss mitkin yawning at the reception desk didn't know exactly why <sighs> his home phone that's all he'll be in tomorrow maybe he went to the plant it's right near his house she looked indifferent yeah a thought struck burkhart but today is june fifteenth it's quarterly tax return day he has to sign the return miss mitkin shrugged to indicate that that was burkhart's problem not hers she returned to her nails thoroughly exasperated burkhart went to his desk it wasn't that he couldn't sign the tax returns as well as bath he thought resentfully it simply wasn't his job that was all it was a responsibility that bath as office manager for contrary chemicals downtown office should have taken he thought briefly of calling bath at his home or trying to reach him at the factory but he gave up the idea quickly enough he didn't really care much for the people at the factory and the less contact he had with them the better he had been to the factory once with bath 
it had been a confusing and in a way a frightening experience barring a handful of executives and engineers there wasn't a soul in the factory that is burkhardt corrected himself remembering what bath had told him not a living soul just the machines according to bath each machine was controlled by a sort of computer which reproduced in its electronic snarl the actual memory and mind of a human being it was an unpleasant thought bath laughing had assured him that there was no frankenstein business of robbing graveyards and implanting brains in machines it was only a matter he said of transferring a man's habit patterns from brain cells to vacuum tube cells it didn't hurt the man and it didn't make the machine into a monster but they made burkhardt uncomfortable all the same he put bath and the factory and all his other little irritations out of his mind and tackled the tax returns it took him until noon to verify the figures which bath could have done out of his memory and his private ledger in ten minutes burkhardt resentfully reminded himself he sealed them in an envelope and walked out to miss mitkin since mr bath isn't here we'd better go to lunch and shifts he said you can go first thanks Miss Mitkin languidly took her bag out of the desk drawer and began to apply makeup. Burkhart offered her the envelope. Drop this in the mail for me, will you? Oh, wait a minute. I wonder if I ought to phone Mr. Bath to make sure. Did his wife say whether he was able to take phone calls? Didn't say. Miss Mitkin blotted her lips carefully with a Kleenex. Wasn't his wife anyway. It was his daughter who called and left the message. The kid? Burkhart frowned. I thought she was away at school. She called, that's all I know. Burkhardt went back to his own office and stared distastefully at the unopened mail on his desk. He didn't like nightmares, they spoiled his whole day. He should have stayed in bed, like Bath. A funny thing happened on his way home. There was a disturbance at the corner where he usually caught his bus. Someone was screaming something about a new kind of deep freeze, so he walked an extra block. He saw the bus coming and started to trot, but behind him someone was calling his name. He looked over his shoulder. A small, harried-looking man was hurrying towards him. Burkhardt hesitated and then recognised him. It was a casual acquaintance named Swanson. Burkhardt sourly observed that he had already missed the bus. He said, Hello. Swanson's face was desperately eager. Burkhardt? He asked inquiringly, with an odd intensity. Then he just stood there silently, watching Burkhardt's face with a burning eagerness that dwindled to a faint hope and died to a regret. He was searching for something, waiting for something, Burkhardt thought. But whatever it was he wanted, Burkhardt didn't know how to supply it. Burkhardt coughed and said again, <clears throat> Hello, Swanson. Swanson didn't even acknowledge the greeting. He merely sighed, a very deep sigh. Oh, nothing doing. He mumbled, apparently to himself. He nodded abstractly to Burkhardt and turned away. Burkhardt watched the slumped shoulders disappear in the crowd. It was an odd sort of day, he thought, and one he didn't much like. Things weren't going right. Riding home on the next bus, he brooded about it. It wasn't anything terrible or disastrous. It was something out of his experience entirely. You live your life like any man, and you form a network of impressions and reactions. You expect things. When you open your medicine chest, your razor is expected to be on the second shelf. When you lock your front door, you expect to have to give it a slight extra tug to make it latch. It isn't the things that are right and perfect in your life that make it familiar. It is the things that are just a little bit wrong. The sticking latch, the light switch at the head of the stairs that needs an extra push because the spring is old and weak, the rug that unfailingly skids underfoot. It wasn't just that things were wrong with the pattern of Burkhardt's life. 
it was that the wrong things were wrong for instance bath hadn't come into the office yet bath always came in burkhardt brooded about it through dinner he brooded about it despite his wife's attempt to interest him in a game of bridge with the neighbours all through the evening the neighbours were people he liked anne and farley denniman he had known them all their lives but they were odd and brooding too this night and he barely listened to denniman's complaints about not being able to get good phone service or his wife's comments on the disgusting variety of television commercials they had these days burkhardt was well on the way to setting an all-time record for continuous abstraction when around midnight with the suddenness that surprised him he was strangely aware of it happening he turned over in his bed and quickly and completely fell asleep on the morning of june the fifteenth burkhardt woke up screaming it was more real than any dream he had ever had in his life he could still hear the explosion feel the blast that crushed him against the wall it did not seem right that he should be sitting bolt upright in bed in an undisturbed room his wife came pattering up the stairs darling she cried what's the matter he mumbled nothing bad dream she relaxed hand on heart in an angry tone she started to say you gave me such a shock but a noise from outside interrupted her there was a wail of sirens and a clang of bells it was loud and shocking the burkhart stared at each other for a heartbeat then hurried fearfully to the window there were no rumbling fire engines in the street only a small panel truck cruising slowly along blaring loudspeaker horns crowned its top from them issued the screaming sound of sirens growing in intensity mixed with the rumble of heavy-duty engines and the sound of bells it was a perfect record of fire engines arriving at a four alarm blaze burkhardt said in amazement mary that's against the law do you know what they're doing they're playing records of a fire what are they up to maybe it's a practical joke his wife offered joke waking up the whole neighbourhood at six o'clock in the morning he shook his head the police will be here in ten minutes he predicted wait and see but the police weren't not in ten minutes or at all whoever the pranksters in the car were they apparently had a police permit for their games the car took a position in the middle of the block and stood silent for a few minutes then there was a crackle from the speaker and a giant voice chanted feckle freezers feckle freezers gotta have a feckle freezer feckle 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 it went on and on every house on the block had faces staring out of windows by then the voice was not merely loud it was deafening burkhardt shouted to his wife over the uproar what the hell is a feckle freezer some kind of a freezer i guess dear she shrieked back unhelpfully abruptly the noise stopped and the truck stood silent it was still misty morning the sun's rays came horizontally across the rooftops it was impossible to believe that a moment ago the silent block had been bellowing the name of a freezer a crazy advertising trick burkhardt said bitterly he yawned and turned away from the window might as well get dressed i guess that's the end of the bellow caught him from behind it was almost like a hard slap on the ears a harsh sneering voice louder than the archangel's trumpet howled have you got a freezer it stinks if it isn't a feckle freezer it stinks if it's last year's feckle freezer it stinks only this year is feckle freezer is any good at all you know who owns an ajax freezer fairies own ajax freezers you know who owns a triple cold freezer commies own triple cold freezers every freezer but a brand new feckle freezer stinks the voice screamed inarticulately with rage i'm warning you 
Get out and buy a feckle freezer right away. Hurry up. Hurry up for feckle. Hurry for feckle. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Feckle, feckle, feckle. Feckle, feckle, feckle. It stopped eventually. Burkhardt licked his lips. He started to say to his wife, Maybe we ought to call the police about... When the speakers erupted again. It caught him off guard. It was intended to catch him off guard. It screamed. Feckle, feckle, feckle. Feckle, feckle, feckle. Feckle, feckle, feckle. Cheap freezers ruin your food. You'll get sick and throw up. You'll get sick and die. Buy a feckle, feckle. Feckle, feckle. Ever take a piece of meat out of the freezer you've got and see how rotten and moldy it is? Buy a feckle, feckle, feckle. Feckle, feckle, feckle. Do you want to eat rotten, stinking food? Or do you want to wise up and buy a feckle, feckle, feckle? That did it. With fingers that kept stabbing the wrong holes, Burkhart finally managed to dial the local police station. He got a busy signal. It was apparent that he was not the only one with the same idea. And while he was shakingly dialing again, the noise outside stopped. He looked out the window. The truck was gone. Burkhart loosened his tie and ordered another frosty flip from the waiter. If only they wouldn't keep the Crystal Cafe so hot. The new paint job, searing reds and blinding yellows, was bad enough, but someone seemed to have the delusion that this was January instead of June. The place was a good ten degrees warmer than outside. He swallowed the frosty flip in two gulps. It had a kind of peculiar flavour, he thought, but not bad. It certainly cooled you off, just as the waiter had promised. He reminded himself to pick up a carton of them on the way home. Mary might like them. She was always interested in something new. He stood up awkwardly as the girl came across the restaurant toward him. She was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen in Tylerton. Chin height, honey blonde hair, and a figure that, well, it was all hers. There was no doubt in the world that the dress that clung to her was the only thing she wore. He felt as if he were blushing as she greeted him. Mr. Burkhard. The voice was like distant tom-toms. It's wonderful of you to let me see you after this morning. He cleared his throat. Uh, not at all. Won't you sit down, Miss... April Horn. She murmured, sitting down beside him, not where he'd pointed on the other side of the table. Call me April, won't you? She was wearing some kind of perfume, Burkhart noticed, with what little of his mind was functioning at all. It didn't seem fair that she should be using perfume as well as everything else. He came to with a start and realised that the waiter was leaving with an order for filet mignon for two. Hey. He objected. Please, Mr. Burkhart. Her shoulder was against his, her face was turned to him, her breath was warm, her expression was tender and solicitous. This is all on the Feckle Corporation. Please let them. It's the least they can do. He felt her hand burrowing into his pocket. I put a price of the meal in your pocket. She whispered conspiratorially. Please do that for me, won't you? I mean, I'd appreciate it if you'd pay the waiter. I'm old-fashioned about things like that. She smiled meltingly, then became mock businesslike. But you must take the money, she insisted. Why, you're letting Feckle off lightly if you do. You could sue them for every nickel they've got, disturbing your sleep like that. With a dizzy feeling, as though he had just seen someone make a rabbit disappear into a top hat, he said, Why, it really wasn't so bad, uh, April, uh, a little noisy maybe, but... Oh, Mr. Burkhardt. The blue eyes were wide and admiring. I knew you'd understand. It's just that, well, it's such a wonderful freezer that some of the outside men get carried away, so to speak. As soon as the main office found out about what happened, they sent representatives around to every house on the block to apologise. 
your wife told us where we could phone you and i am so very pleased that you were willing to let me have lunch with you so that i could apologize too because truly mr burkhard it is a fine freezer i shouldn't tell you this but the blue eyes were shyly lowered i do almost anything for freckle freezes it's more than a job to me she looked up she was enchanting i bet you think i'm silly don't you burkhardt coughed <coughs> well i uh oh you don't want to be unkind she shook her head no don't pretend you think it's silly but really mr burkhardt you wouldn't think so if you knew more about the feckle let me show you this little booklet burkhardt got back from lunch a full hour late it wasn't only the girl who delayed him there had been a curious interview with a little man named swanson whom he barely knew who had stopped him with desperate urgency on the street and then left him cold but it didn't matter much mr bath for the first time since burkhardt had worked there was out for the day leaving burkhardt stuck with the quarterly tax returns what did matter though was that somehow he had signed a purchase order for a twelve cubic foot feckle freezer upright model self-defrosting list price six hundred and twenty five dollars with a ten percent courtesy discount because of that horrid affair this morning mr burkhardt she had said and he wasn't sure how he could explain it to his wife he needn't have worried as he walked in the front door his wife said almost immediately i wonder if we can't afford a new freezer dear there was a man here to apologize about that noise and well we got to talking and she had signed a purchase order too it had been the damnest day burkhardt thought later on his way up to bed but the day wasn't done with him yet at the head of the stairs the weakened spring and the electric light switch refused to click at all he snapped it back and forth angrily and of course succeeded in jarring the tumbler out of its pins the wires shorted and every light in the house went out damn said guy burkhardt fuse his wife shrugged sleepily let it go till the morning dear burkhardt shook his head you go back to bed i'll be right along it wasn't so much that he cared about fixing the fuse but he was too restless for sleep he disconnected the bad switch with the screwdriver stumbled down into the black kitchen found the flashlight and climbed gingerly down the cellar stairs he located a spare fuse pushed an empty trunk over to the fuse box to stand on and twisted out the old fuse when the new one was in he heard the starting click and steady drone of the refrigerator in the kitchen overhead he headed back to the steps and stopped where the old trunk had been the cellar floor gleamed oddly bright he inspected it in the flashlight beam it was metal son of a gun said guy burkhardt he shook his head unbelievingly he peered closer rubbing the edges of the metallic patch with his thumb and acquiring an annoying cut the edges were sharp the stained cement floor of the cellar was a thin shell he found a hammer and cracked it off in a dozen spots everywhere was metal the whole cellar was a copper box even the cement brick walls were false fronts over a metal sheath baffled he attacked one of the foundation beams that at least was real wood the glass in the cellar windows was real glass he sucked his bleeding thumb and tried the base of the cellar stairs real wood he chipped at the bricks under the oil burner real bricks the retaining walls the floor they were faked it was as though someone had shored up the house with a frame of metal and then laboriously concealed the evidence the biggest surprise was the upside-down boat's hull that blocked the rear half of the cellar relic of a brief home workshop period that burkhardt had gone through a couple of years before from above it looked perfectly normal 
inside though where there should have been thwarts and seats and lockers there was a mere tangle of braces rough and unfinished but i've built that burkhart exclaimed forgetting his thumb he leaned against the hull dizzily trying to think this thing through for reasons beyond his comprehension someone had taken his boat and his cellar away maybe his whole house and replaced them with a clever mock-up of the real thing that's crazy he said to the empty cellar he stared around in the light of the flash he whispered what in the name of heaven would anybody do that for reason refused an answer there wasn't any reasonable answer for long minutes burkhart contemplated the uncertain picture of his own sanity he peered under the boats again hoping to reassure himself that it was a mistake just his imagination but the sloppy unfinished bracing was unchanged he crawled under for a better look feeling the rough wood incredulously utterly impossible he switched off the flashlight and started to wriggle out but he didn't make it in the moment between the command to his legs to move and the crawling out he felt a sudden draining weariness flooding through him consciousness went not easily but as though it were being taken away and guy burkhart was asleep on the morning of june the sixteenth guy burkhart woke up in a cramped position huddled under the hull of the boats in his basement and raced upstairs to find it was june the fifteenth the first thing he had done was to make a frantic hasty inspection of the boat's hull the fake cellar floor the imitation stone they were all as he had remembered them all completely unbelievable the kitchen was its placid unexciting self the electric clock was purring soberly around the dial almost six o'clock it said his wife would be waking at any moment burkhardt flung open the front door and stared out into the quiet street the morning paper was tossed carelessly against the steps and as he retrieved it he noticed that this was the fifteenth day of june but that was impossible yesterday was the fifteenth of june it was not a date one would forget it was quarterly tax return day he went back into the hall and picked up the telephone he dialed for weather information and got a well-modulated chant and cooler some showers barometric pressure thirty point zero four rising united states weather bureau forecast for june fifteenth warm and sunny with high around he hung the phone up june the fifteenth holy heaven burkhart said prayerfully things were very odd indeed he heard the ring of his wife's alarm and bounded up the stairs mary burkhart was sitting upright in bed with the terrified uncomprehending stare of someone just waking out of a nightmare oh she gasped as her husband came in the room darling i just had the most terrible dream it was like an explosion and again burkhart asked not very sympathetically mary something's funny i knew there was something wrong all day yesterday and he went on to tell her about the copper box that was the cellar and the odd mock-up someone had made of his boat mary looked astonished then alarmed then placatory and uneasy she said dear are you sure because i was cleaning that old trunk out just last week and i didn't notice anything positive said guy burkhart i dragged it over to the wall to step on it to put a new fuse in after we blew the lights out and after we what mary was looking more than merely alarmed after we blew the lights out you know when the switch at the head of the stairs stuck i went down to the cellar and mary sat up in bed guy the switch didn't stick i turned out the lights myself last night burkhart glared at his wife now i know you didn't come here and take a look 
he stalked out to the landing and dramatically pointed to the bad switch the one that he had unscrewed and left hanging the night before only it wasn't it was as it had always been unbelieving burkhardt pressed it and the light sprang up in both halls mary looking pale and worried left him to go down to the kitchen and start breakfast burkhardt stood staring at the switch for a long time his mental processes were gone beyond the point of disbelief and shock they simply were not functioning he shaved and dressed and ate his breakfast in a state of numb introspection mary didn't disturb him she was apprehensive and soothing she kissed him good-bye as he hurried out to the bus without another word miss mitkin at the reception desk greeted him with a yawn <sighs> morning she said drowsily mr barth won't be in today burkhardt started to say something but checked himself she would not know that bath hadn't been in yesterday either because she was tearing a june fourteenth bat off her calendar to make way for the new june fifteenth sheet he staggered to his own desk and stared unseeingly at the morning's mail it had not even been opened yet but he knew that the factory distributor's envelope contained an order for twenty thousand feet of the new acoustic tile and the one from Feinbeck and sons was a complaint after a long while he forced himself to open them they were by lunchtime driven by a desperate sense of urgency burkhardt made miss mitkin take a lunch hour first the june fifteenth that was yesterday he had gone first she went looking vaguely worried about his strained insistence but it made no difference to burkhardt's mood the phone rang and burkhardt picked it up abstractedly contra chemicals downtown burkhardt speaking the voice said this is swanson and stopped burkhardt waited expectantly but that was all he said hello again the pause then swanson asked in sad resignation still nothing eh nothing what swanson is there something you want you came up to me yesterday and went through this routine you the voice crackled burkhardt oh my good heavens you you remember stay right there i'll be down in half an hour what's this all about never mind the little man said exultantly tell you about it when i see you don't say any more over the phone somebody might be listening just just wait there say hold on a minute will you be alone in the office well no miss mitkin will probably hey look burkhardt where do you eat lunch is it good and noisy oh i suppose so the crystal cafe it's just about a block i know where it is meet you in half an hour and the receiver clicked the crystal cafe was no longer painted red but the temperature was still up and they had added piped-in music interspersed with commercials the advertisements were for frosty flip marlin cigarettes their sanitize the announcer purred and something called chocobite candy bars that burkhardt couldn't remember ever having heard of before but he heard more about them quickly enough while he was waiting for swanson to show up a girl in the cellophane skirt of a nightclub cigarette vendor came through the restaurant with a tray of tiny scarlet wrapped candies chocobites are tangy she was murmuring as she came close to his table chocobites are tangier than tangy burkhardt intent on watching for the strange little man who had phoned him paid little attention but as she scattered a handful of the confections over the table next to him smiling at the occupants he caught a glimpse of her and turned to stare why miss horn he said the girl dropped her tray of candies 
Burkhart rose, concerned over the girl. Is something wrong? But she fled. The manager of the restaurant was staring suspiciously at Burkhart, who sank back in his seat and tried to look inconspicuous. He hadn't insulted the girl. Maybe she was just a very strictly rean young lady, he thought, in spite of the long bare legs under the cellophane skirt, and when he addressed her, she thought he was a masher. Ridiculous idea. Burkhart scowled uneasily and picked up his menu. Burkhart! It was a shrill whisper. Burkhart looked up over the top of his menu, startled. In the seat across from him, the little man named Swanson was sitting, tensely poised. Burkhart! The little man whispered again. Let's get out of here. We're on to you now. If you want to stay alive, come on. There was no arguing with the man. Burkhart gave the hovering manager a sick, apologetic smile and followed Swanson out. The little man seemed to know where he was going. In the street, he clutched Burkhart by the elbow and hurried him off down the block. Did you see her? He demanded. That horn woman in the phone booth. She'll have them here in five minutes, believe me. So hurry it up. Although the street was full of people and cars, nobody was paying any attention to Burkhart and Swanson. The air had a nip in it, more like October than June, Burkhart thought, in spite of the weather bureau. And he felt like a fool, following this mad little man down the street, running away from some them toward, toward what? The little man might be crazy, but he was afraid, and the fear was infectious. In here, panted the little man. It was another restaurant. More of a bar, really, and a sort of second-rate place that Burkhart had never patronised. Right, straight through, Swanson whispered, and Burkhart, like a bit of a boy, sidestepped through the mass of tables to the far end of the restaurant. It was L-shaped, with a front on two streets at right angles to each other. They came out on the side street, Swanson staring coldly back at the question-looking cashier, and crossed to the opposite sidewalk. They were under the marquee of a movie theatre. Swanson's expression began to relax. Lost them, he crowed softly. We're almost there. He stepped up to the window and bought two tickets. Burkhart trailed him into the theatre. It was a weekday matinee and the place was almost empty. From the screen came sounds of gunfire and horses' hooves. A solitary usher, leaning against a bright brass rail, looked briefly at them and went back to staring boredly at the picture as Swanson led Burkhart down a flight of carpeted marble steps. They were in the lounge and it was empty. There was a door for men and one for ladies, and there was a third door marked manager in gold letters. Swanson listened at the door and gently opened it and peered inside. Okay, he said, gesturing. Burkhart followed him through an empty office to another door, a closet probably, because it was unmarked. But it was no closet. Swanson opened it warily, looked inside, then motioned Burkhart to follow. It was a tunnel, metal-walled, brightly lit, empty, it stretched vacantly away in both directions from them. Burkhart looked, wondering, around. One thing he knew and knew full well. No such tunnel belonged under Tylerton. There was a room off the tunnel with chairs and a desk and what looked like television screens. Swanson slumped in a chair, panting. We're all right for a while here, he wheezed. They don't come here much any more. If they do, we'll hear them and we can hide. Who? demanded Burkhart. Martians, the little man said. His voice cracked on the word and the life seemed to go out of him. In morose tones, he went on. Well, I think they're Martians, although you could be right, you know. 
I've had plenty of time to think it over these last few weeks, after they got you, and it's possible they're Russians after all. Still, start from the beginning. Who got me when? Swanson once inside. So we have to go through the whole thing again. All right. It was about two months ago that you banged on my door late at night. You were all beat up, scared silly. You begged me to help you. I did. Naturally, you don't remember any of this. Listen, and you'll understand. You were talking a blue streak about being captured and threatened, and your wife being dead and coming back to life, and all kinds of mixed-up nonsense. I thought you were crazy, but, well, I've always had a lot of respect for you, and, and you begged me to hide you, and I have this dark room. You know, it locks from the inside only. I put the lock on myself, so we went in there, just to humor you, and along about midnight, which was only fifteen or twenty minutes after, we passed out. Passed out? Swanson nodded. Both of us. It was like being hit with a sandbag. Look, didn't that happen to you again last night? I guess it did. Burkhart shook his head uncertainly. Sure. And then all of a sudden we were awake again. And you said you were going to show me something funny, and we went out and bought a paper. And the date on it was June 15th. June 15th? But that's today. I mean... You got it. Friend, it's always today. It took time to penetrate. Burkhart said wonderingly, You've hidden out in that dark room for how many weeks? How can I tell? Four or five, maybe. I lost count. And every day the same. Always the 15th of June. Always my landlady, Mrs. Kiefer, is sweeping the front steps. Always the same headline in the papers at the corner. It gets monotonous, friend. End of Tunnel Under the World, Part 1